Welcome, friends. My name is Debbie Lawrence, and this is episode 12 of the Compassionate Leader School podcast. are some people able to make incredible things happen in their lives? Why are there those who seem like they've been born under a lucky star, who get all the breaks, and who seem to have life handed to them on a silver platter? The answer, I believe, is rooted in the words of Stephen Vizinski, who said, you must begin to think of yourself as becoming the person you want to be. Look, we all want to propel our lives forward, to live with purpose, to draw meaning out of each and every day. The key for those who are committed to doing just that and who are therefore achieving their goals, I believe it lies in their ability to see themselves as being who they most want to be. And they do so by making good choices all the while understanding the power of intention behind every single one of these choices. Here's why. There's a thing called the third law of motion, and it says that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That means for every choice you make, there's an equal and opposite occurrence directly connected back to that choice. Let me illustrate this with an example. You're working on a deadline, your phone rings, and you see it's your friend whose husband is on a long business trip. You suspect she's feeling lonely, so as you reach for the telephone, your intention is to bring her comfort. As a result, during your brief conversation, you choose to invite her to lunch the next day. Hanging up, you feel good about your choice, especially knowing that your friend is excited about the invitation and looking forward to spending that time with you. If, on the other hand, your intention is to protect your time, given you're racing to meet a deadline, your choices will reflect this intention. So as the phone rings, you check the caller ID and see that it's your friend. Knowing she must be lonely, given that her husband is away, you assess that by answering this call, your time will be taken up in a lengthy conversation. Given your intention, you choose to let the call go to voicemail and make a conscious commitment to call her later that evening when you know you'll be more relaxed and able to enjoy a conversation. Now for scenario number three, same setup, except this time you say to yourself, gosh, I don't really have time for this call right now, but I can't not talk to her, so I'll just have a quick call. So you engage in conversation with your friend, but you hear yourself rushing or what I call processing her during the conversation. You know, and you do a lot of those, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and yes, yes, and you don't add much to the dialogue because that would only prolong the call. Then you hang up and start to reflect on the call, which makes you feel bad because you didn't like how you showed up. So much so that it's now a distraction as you're working on your deadline because your inside voice is not speaking very nicely to you. Different intentions under the same circumstances lead to different choices and produce different results. That's because our intentions form our thoughts, our thoughts shape our choices, 
and our choices create the results we get in life. Simply said, what you put out in the world comes right back to you. What goes around comes around. This third law of motion is one of the most important and powerful laws of the universe. If you study the nature of your intentions, you'll receive insight into why things happen as they do in your life. That's exactly what Karen learned. When Karen announced that she was taking on a second job in direct sales for a line of products sold in a home party environment, similar to the way that uh, Tupperware and Mary Kay are sold, her friends were really surprised. Why, they wondered, would Karen get involved in direct sales? She'd never shown any interest in anything like this before. And besides, how was she going to juggle this with a family schedule and a job and a life that was already very full? When Karen first came to see me, she was also questioning her decision. Disappointed with her sales figures and having to deal with a regional sales manager who was pressuring her to improve her performance or else, Karen wanted to work through what she should do next. So I asked Karen what her motive or intention for taking on this extra job was. Karen explained that a friend from another city had approached her who was involved with the product line. This friend had enjoyed the financial reward she had accumulated from matching and later surpassing her sales quotas. With this support and a personal reference from her friend, Karen met with a regional sales manager and was soon scheduling home parties of her own. Besides, Karen stated that she really believed in the product and enjoyed getting out to meet other people. In fact, she said to me, if you really knew me, you would know, Debbie, that I would use any reason. I would find any excuse to get together with people. So all of that, that whole explanation was very logical. And it made perfect sense, except for one thing. Karen's eyes didn't sparkle when she talked about this work. Her body language hinted at a discomfort in discussing the potential financial gain she stood to enjoy. And her answer, quite frankly, was void of any passion or excitement. I knew, did we, I knew we needed to dig further. In addition to that, when I asked her about those parties, I said to her, so you've been doing this for six months. When did you first start? And how many parties did you actually host? And I remember her sitting in the chair and she was trying to remember back. And she said, well, I'm not sure. She was using her fingers to count. And, and all of a sudden she held up two fingers. And I said, so was that two a week, two a month? And she said, no, I actually think I only did two parties. And I said, really? Who had those parties? She said, well, the first one was my sister. And oh my goodness gracious, Debbie. She said that her house was filled with people. We had so much fun. She said, I actually felt guilty about making commission off these sales because this clearly was too much fun for me to be having. And, and we had all of these people there. Uh, and so she said, in, in fact, there were so many people and there was so much demand that I decided shortly after that to host a party myself. And I had a similar experience. And so I said to her, so this is really interesting. You say to me, you got involved in doing these sales because you love the product and you love being with people. And I said, but I got a problem with that. You see, if you did, then you would be sitting here saying to me, uh, my real problem is not that I don't have enough sales, because clearly you have this incredible start, but then you didn't do anything for the remainder of that time. So 
if if you really love to do this, you would, as I said, you would be saying to me, Debbie, um, my husband is complaining because I'm never at home. Or I'm concerned because when I bump into my friends in the middle of the supermarket, I think they run away from me because they're afraid I'm going to ask them to host a party. But none of that is happening. You know, I said to her, I think you're out of alignment with your integrity. Because part of the definition of integrity from where I sit is that what you think and say and do are one and the same. So I remember explaining to her that I really believe that you think that you love this product and you love to be with people and this is what you really want to do. I I don't doubt that for a second. And I really believe you when you say it, um, that your eyes do sparkle when you talk about that piece of it. I said, but here's where I'm having difficulty. If integrity says that what you think and say and do are one and the same, your thinking and what you're saying are aligned, but it goes off the rails when it comes to what you do. And quite frankly, what really matters is not what you intend to do or what you say that you're going to do, but it's the alignment of those intentions with the actions you actually take. And I said, so I don't really believe that that's your true intention. And I remember that uh, she sort of sunk in the chair um, and and uh, she was really reluctant to talk about it initially. What I did learn is that while Karen said she intended to dedicate herself to promoting this product line and to booking a full schedule of home parties and exceeding her targets, um, she really did struggle to organize more than those two parties within the six-month period. You know, the boxes of samples she had received from her office were just sitting in this beautiful armoire that her husband had built for her, and she really hadn't done much of that work. So when I said to her, the part where you don't sparkle is when we talk about the financial piece of it. And so I said, Karen, what is your relationship with money? And I just remember her saying, oh, gosh, she almost whispered it. I wish we didn't have to talk about this. And I said, what is it that we're not talking about? And she said, I don't know. I just I feel icky about the money piece of it. And so I said to her, tell me what your relationship around this money thing is. Are are you in financial need? She said, oh, gosh, no, 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 no. She said, my husband and I, we make a good living. We're very, very comfortable. She said, it's, it's just that I grew up and... I I was raised, my brother and I were raised by our grandparents and my grandmother preached since she said I was uh, old enough to remember the importance of having a healthy relationship with money. And she said, in fact, my grandparents, they were farmers. She said they were very humble, simple living people and had deep beliefs. And my grandmother in particular, she said, always said to us, you want to make enough money so that you are comfortable. But once you um, have a level of comfort and your needs are met, you want to have a buffer because that's important to do. But if you are making excess money, it is important to share that money, to give it away, to put it out in the universe and allow it to do good. And I promise that it'll come back to you tenfold. And given that they were farmers, it wasn't unusual that there would be a farmer in any particular year who didn't have such a good crop or had some issues with their livestock or whatever they were producing. 
And as a community, if her grandparents had excess, they would go and help that farmer out. And part of their belief system was that they that was like an investment or that was almost like paying an insurance because they would say, oh, there but for the grace of God, go us. And any year that could be our situation. And we would like to think that if we took care of our neighbors, then they would return that kindness when we most needed it. And so she explained to me that when she did those parties, she said, you know, the initial parties, I it was my first time. And, and I'm going back a long time when she was doing this in the days before we had the internet to help us. So things were done online. And she said people had to fill out forms. And I had to make sure that I sent all the things off and that the, the product came back. And I wanted to make sure that I uh, got it distributed to everybody and everybody was happy with what they had received. So she said that took a little while. And then one day, a check showed up in the mail. And this was in the days they would send out physical checks. And she said, I had done the calculation on the two parties, and I knew that I had made decent money. But she said, I looked at that check and went, wow, that was a lot of money for someone who was just having a lot of fun with family and friends and work colleagues and neighbors who had been invited to these parties. And then she said, I went to the bank, and I stood at the ATM machine, and I, as I was she said, I put, and then those days you put the check in an envelope and you'd seal the envelope. And she said, as that envelope was going into the deposit slot, she said, I, I, I can hardly explain it, but she said it was as if my grandmother turned over in her grave. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, you know, that little slip that comes out and says to you, this is your new balance. She said, I looked at my balance and she said, I felt like I hadn't really earned the money. And so we talked about it and I said, Karen, look at this. I believe that because, uh, you know, as I said to you earlier, our intentions form our thoughts, your thinking around money was that it had to serve a noble purpose. And yet you had so easily earned this money and you didn't have a noble purpose for the money. And so when that money went into that slot, it made you feel really uncomfortable. And so you thought, I don't want to feel that way again. And subsequently, you made choices. And the choices were that you didn't distribute your catalogs. You didn't give out a business card. You didn't approach friends to encourage them to have a party. And because you didn't do any of that, you got the exact result that you were looking for. You didn't have any sales. And therefore, you didn't have to deal with another commission check coming. And that terrible feeling like somehow you had disappointed your grandmother and, and you had done something that was less than noble. And I said, it's because your thinking is that you know, you should only have extra money if there is a noble purpose. You just haven't established the noble purpose. And to make a long story short, uh, we spent some time with her husband and, um, and and decided on what that noble purpose was going to be. For years, Karen and her husband had been wanting their children to experience the joy of spending summers at a family cottage, memories that Karen had relished from her own childhood. And in order to maintain and purchase that cottage, because it's like running a second household, Karen needed extra money. Once she embraced the truth that her efforts were solely directed now at creating the cottage experience for her family, Karen became really focused and driven for the first time because now her intention 
was in line with her thinking. This new way of looking at her opportunities started to shape her choices. So she started booking more home parties, talking passionately about the products she always believed in, conducting more assertive marketing campaigns, and following up to ensure her customers were satisfied. And Karen's choices resulted in improved sales and greater commissions so that month by month, Karen started moving closer and closer to actualizing her dream of owning that cottage. And in fact, it took her husband and her um, just uh, less than a year, really. But within a year, they had enough money to buy land. And within three years, they had built enough of their cottage that they could open it up for the very first spring. And whenever I tell this story, I always say every spring, I think of that family just like this spring. Uh, opening up their cottage for the season and every fall closing uh, the cottage down for another year. That's the power of intention. Here's a great exercise for you to do that involves responding to five strategic questions. I'd like you to think about your goals for your business or career. Just think forward moving. And And I want you to be completely open and honest with yourself and answer the following questions. It's five of them. Number one, what was the most significant choice you made in the past year regarding your business or your career? Number two, as you reflect on this choice, what was your true intention behind this decision? That's going to be the hard one. Number three, then looking ahead to the next six months for your business or your career, What two key changes do you want to bring about? Four, what is your intention behind each of these changes? And number five, understanding your intentions. What specific choices can you make to bring about these changes? I really want to encourage you to walk through this process whenever you set goals and make decisions for yourself, for your business, or your career. You may even feel challenged with answering some of these questions and even uncomfortable when facing the real intentions behind your choices. Seeking the truth can have that effect on us. Just be patient and look to others for support. You might find it helpful to talk through your answers with a trusted colleague, your business coach, a mentor, a family member, or a close friend. You might find that they have insight and they might help you draw inspiration uh, from different perspectives. Challenge yourself to remain open. Make room for new possibilities to materialize. People often share with me their feelings of being overwhelmed because they have so many goals they want to work on all at the same time. In trying to accomplish this, they feel that their efforts are diluted, resulting in unsatisfactory outcomes overall. To turn this around, I suggest that they focus on one intention at any one time. I approach honoring my attentions the same way I do with menu planning. For example, Sunday is the day I've chosen to focus on my intention to engage in self-care. As a result, I awake with the intention of minimizing doing any paperwork, taking calls or responding to emails that relate to my business. Instead, my preference is to catch up on my on my reading, spend time outside, enjoy a favorite cooking show I recorded earlier in the week, connect with a friend I haven't spoken to in a while, take taco on a walk, go for a drive in the country, and allow time to linger over coffee with David. 
I invite you to plan your own menu of daily intentions. This approach will keep you from becoming energetically cluttered by trying to work on too many goals at the same time. As always, the results we get in life are rooted in our intentions. It's like Cynthia, a woman who was building a practice in alternative healing who wanted to work on her close rate with potential clients. Whenever Cynthia met with people for the first time, she often came away with a sense that she hadn't made a successful connection and the potential client would frequently not return for a follow-up session. For Cynthia, it felt as if something got in the way. Determined to change this, she was eager to pinpoint what she was doing to create this result. As I often do, I asked her what intention intention she brought to these introductory meetings. Cynthia's explanation highlighted the fact that she perceived that a potential client would be seeking validation of her skills, experience, and qualifications as a practitioner. Therefore, she spent the majority of her time during an introductory meeting talking about herself, her background, her philosophy of alternative healing modalities, and her successes. There's your answer, I said to her. And she looked at me. She was quite surprised. I said, Cynthia, given that your intention is to validate your right to offer these services, the focus of and the energy around these meetings is around you. The potential client isn't able to make a personal connection because there isn't any room or opportunity to do so. I asked Cynthia to think back to when she was a college student sitting in the classroom. I wanted her to remember dreaming about the day when she would have graduated and be at this very point in her career. Once her practice was a reality and she was able to be of service to clients who really needed what she offered, what did she imagine back then would be of greatest importance to her as she worked with people? That's easy, she said. It's the same way I feel today. Most of the people who come to see me have been dealing with chronic pain, prolonged illness, or general lack of well-being for some time. She explained that often they're desperate for help and just need someone to really hear them as they're presenting their symptoms. Aha, that was the key. The truth was Cynthia's if I could say it this way, soul intention, her most intimate, honest motive for doing the work she did was to be fully present to her clients. However, by entering a meeting with an intention of promoting herself, as opposed to focusing solely on the client's needs, she wasn't aware that the atmosphere she subsequently created was actually contradictory to the outcome she was really looking for. That's when Cynthia finally made the connection between her intention of validating herself and how it had been shaping the choices she made about what she emphasized during this meeting. It ultimately created the end result, which often wasn't positive. By being clear that her real intention was to create a sense of comfort and open communication, Cynthia trusted herself to be fully present and to engage in meaningful conversation with each person. This shifted her whole focus away from telling them how qualified on paper she was and toward creating the opportunity for her potential clients to experience her skill and compassion firsthand. When Cynthia took this approach when she met new clients, she noticed a shift in the dynamics during these meetings and her rate of securing clients over the long term significantly improved. 
More than anything, Cynthia is now clear about the intentions that fuel her work and she's living in harmony with the client experience she most wants to project as a business owner. The bottom line is that living a life of purpose starts with awareness that your intentions are your steering wheel, taking you in whatever direction they're pointed. This interpretation from the Upanishads, which are a fundamental text of Hinduism, sums it up so nicely. It says, you are what your deep driving desire is. As your deep driving desire is, so is your will. As your will is, so is your deed. As your deed is, so is your destiny. Given that you are what you think, begin to think of yourself as becoming the compassionate leader you most want to be. And I promise you, it will become so. Okay, compassionate leaders, here's your take action challenge. Sit down and answer those five questions I outlined earlier in this podcast. Remember what they were. One, what was the most significant choice you made in the past year regarding your business or career? Two, as you reflect on this choice, what was your true intention behind this decision? Three, then looking ahead to the next six months for your business or career, what two key changes do you want to bring about? Four, what is your intention behind each of these changes? And number five, understanding your intentions, what specific choices can you make to bring about these changes? Remember, you may find it helpful to talk through your answers with a trusted colleague, a business coach, a mentor, a family member, or a close friend, and challenge yourself to remain open, making room for new possibilities to bubble up and take shape. As always, be gentle with yourself and know that I'll be looking for your wins. Finally, I want to remind you that if you haven't done so already, please go to my website, debbielawrence.ca and sign up for this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a comment or write a review. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, here's to giving ourselves permission to show up as open, fierce and compassionate leaders and always to living life abundantly. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.